Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. I'm here today with Dr. Wayne Baker. He is the professor of business administration and professor of management and organizations at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. And he is the faculty director of the Center for Positive Organizations. He has just written this book, All You Have to Do is Ask, How to Master the Most Important Skill for Business. I really enjoyed reading it. I have a lot of fun questions uh, for Wayne. Wayne, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you, glad to be here. So first of all, why did you write the book? Well, the roots of it go all the way back maybe 20 years ago mm -hmm. when we created an activity called the Reciprocity Ring. Uh -huh. It's a cooperation exercise. It allows a group of people to give and get help from one another. And way back then, I thought that getting people to help, to be generous, that was going to be the problem. That was rarely the case. People were willing to help, but they really struggled with asking for what they need. Making the request turn out to be the hardest part. So why? Why is it so hard to ask for what you need? Yeah, it really is amazing, but there's a number of reasons why. Um, some of them are based on incorrect beliefs or mm -hmm. assumptions. For example, many people don't ask because they fear they're going to appear to be you know, incompetent or can't do their jobs or weak or ignorant or whatever. And, but new research has shown that it's just the opposite. As long as you make a thoughtful request, people will think you're more competent, not less. So I, I'll put myself in the category of people who have a little bit of a hard time asking for help. And, and I, I want to explore that a little bit because if I am asking for help, there's a couple of things that are going on. Like one is I'm admitting that there's something I don't know, right. which actually requires more confidence, not less confidence, mm -hmm. right? So like insecure people won't ask for help. Confident people can ask for help because they're not worried about not knowing things. But at the same time, if I really care about your feeling that I am competent, won't that undermine that to some degree? Well, it depends on the kind of request that you make. If it's a thoughtful, intelligent request, people will think you're more competent. They'll say, you know, you know Peter's got the confidence uh, to ask when he needs something. Uh, he knows his limitations. He won't keep working on a problem when it would be solved much more quickly and faster and more effectively by reaching out and asking for help. Right. There's a very interesting research that, that um, I looked at when I was working with a large financial services firm, and it was based on this large financial services firm. And um, they, they uh, asked new managers who were coming in, what do you think your people want from you? I don't know if you've read this research mm -hmm. or not, but what do you think your people want from you? And what they said was they want me to have vision, they want me to have like clear direction, they want me, you know, they, they have to have a feel that I have a sense of, you know, strategic purpose and direction that we're going in, they want to feel like they're in good hands. Mm -hmm. And then they asked the employees, hey, you have a new manager coming in, what's the, you know, what do you want from him? What do you most want from him or her? And, and the answer overwhelmingly was, I want them to ask for help, hmm. right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it's totally counterintuitive. Yeah. 
And um, the higher up you go, I found, the harder it is to ask for help. Right. It's kind of like um, you're supposed to be a great sage. You're supposed to be the font of all wisdom and knowledge and never have a need, never ask for help. You're supposed to have all the answers. Right. You know, but one person never has all the answers, and, but the network does. The people right. out there have the answers, the resources, and all you have to do is ask, and that will release all of those answers and resources. Right. You know, uh, Alan Mulally, who is the CEO of Boeing and then mm -hmm. Ford, this is before all the problems that Boeing's having, uh, and before all the problems that Ford's having, but you know, he, was, he was actually like one of the best leaders I know. I mean, he was uh, uh, one of the proof of his really powerful leadership is he turned Ford around mm -hmm. with 17 of the 18 original direct reports of his predecessor who, through whom Ford was failing. So he had this leadership team, Ford was failing, he kept the same leadership team and then Ford started to succeed. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, if that's not a testament to someone's, you know, ability to lead effectively, I don't mm -hmm. know what is. And, uh, and one of the things that, that he did that's incredibly powerful is, you know, he would have these, he, he basically led through meetings, you know, every once a, a week, he would have a two or three hour meeting with all of his direct reports. And they would have to say, here's how I'm doing and here's challenges that I'm facing. And at first, none of them admitted to any challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they all said they were on plan. And at a point he goes, wait, we're losing a billion dollars a year. Is it our plan to lose a billion dollars <laughs> a year? Because that's our plan, it's working. If it's not our plan, how are you all on plan and we're right. losing a billion dollars? So at a certain point, people started admitting their problems and then they would come to him to solve them. And, and they would say, you know, like, what should I do? And his answer was, I, I, I don't know what you should do. Like, you tell me what you should do. And I'm sure there are people in your organization who know what to do. So go ask a bunch of questions and figure out what to do and then come back and, well, and you tell me what the plan mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And so that was him asking for help and saying to them, you guys need to go ask for help. Yeah. Yeah, I always say that the leader needs to be the role model of the behavior that they want. Uh -huh. And that if you want people to ask for help and to be gener generous and give help, right. you need to do the same. So it seems to me, and in reading your book, this sort of, I remain with this feeling, which is it is on the one side, people are really willing to offer help. And on the other side, people are really not willing to ask for help. That's right. Like it is very scary to ask for help for some reason, for some of the reasons we're describing. And, and, and yet people are very willing to give help. And, you know, you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of tools which we're going to get to of, of how to make that a little easier. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, it comes down to vulnerability like a willingness to be vulnerable, like can I be vulnerable to you if I'm going to ask for help? And I'm curious, before we get into specific tools, like is that true? Is, does it all come down to the risk of vulnerability? And how do you help people around that? Yeah, there's a couple of things. One is the, um, you know, if you think on those, those incorrect beliefs or assumptions that we have, sometimes just knowledge about that, uh, knowing that as long as you make a thoughtful request, people will think you're more competent, not less. Sometimes we don't ask because we think no one is willing or able to help. Research shows just the opposite, that people are willing and able to help if, if you ask them. Um, if you ask in a group setting where everyone needs to make a request, everyone has an ask they have to make, uh, everyone's kind of in the same psychological boat, it's a lot easier to do it that way. Right. In fact, a lot of the tools that I talk about 
are tools that are used by groups and it makes it a routine you normalize behavior. it yeah that's it's right. a process you create a process right. and go here's our process everybody has to that's ask right. for help that's right right i'm curious if you find it hard to ask for help you know i used to um but i have to you know i was thinking about this i was thinking i can trace it all the way back to when i was uh, in high school and i was taking a french class um i didn't like taking foreign languages. <laughs> I wasn't that good at it. And I was really struggling. And I went and I talked to my father about it. And he said, he said, go ask for help. And I said, I don't know. I'm kind of afraid of this French teacher. He said, no, go ask for help. And so I did. And maybe it started way back then where I saw that the person was so, so willing to help me, so willing to sit down and work through exercises and so forth, that it really started me, maybe even back then, thinking about, thinking about this in a different way. Right. Um, but I definitely take my own medicine. You know, is that I reach out for help. In fact, in writing this book, I start the acknowledgments with that I ask a lot of people for help with this book. Um, right. You know, and uh, people were willing to share their stories and their examples, um, and willing to respond. All I had to do was ask. Right, right. And and I could see why that kind of asking for help might be a little easier, right? It's like when I ask people to, you know, are you willing to give me some advice or thoughts? And you're going to be in my book, and you're going to be in my article, and you know, people there's there's kind of something in it for them, right? Like they get, people love publicity and people kind of like uh, being in a book and you know, there, there's, and it becomes, that's, I feel like that's like a little bit of an easier ask, um, both because it feels like you're, you're including them and you're engaging them and you're respecting their research and you want their research to be included and so they're interested and I mean, I think, and, and maybe this is how, you know, maybe this is synonymous to how employees feel also, but I think about, you know, my son who, you know, has a much harder, who's 12, but he has a much harder time asking for help because I think asking for help, and I guess, you know, we, we just, before you and I started talking, we started talking about Carol Dweck mm -hmm. briefly. And, and, you know, there's this idea of a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And if you have a growth mindset, which means I believe that I can increase my IQ and I can become smarter and I believe that, you know, intelligence and competence and capability grows, then I'm much more likely to ask for, for help because, I, because it doesn't reflect a, a true dead-end limitation on my part. If I have a fixed mindset, then it's much scarier to ask for help because if I'm asking for help, then it reflects that, that my, I, I have a fixed limitation that I'm not going to be able to get over. And so I'd rather just prove that I'm capable than ask for help. And I'm wondering, first of all, if you've seen a distinction with fixed and, and um, growth mindsets and how you address that vulnerability challenge with someone who has a fixed mindset, who, mm -hmm. who feels like if I ask for help, it means I just will never know, like I'm just not smart enough. Yeah, I think the, in my experience, anyone can learn to be better at asking for help, even if they have a fixed mindset. Um, it has to do with figuring out the goals that you have in mind, mm -hmm. perhaps that uh, positive vision of the future that you, that you wanna live into, uh, I try to orient people that way. Think about, you know, what's the goal you're trying to accomplish in your personal life, in your work, in your career? Uh, what's that vision of success? Okay, now let's back up from there. What are your, what do you need in order to get there? If you lead people through this process step by step, people find it a lot easier, no matter how they might struggle with asking for help or what other, their mindset might be, everyone can be better at it. Right, 
And are there baby steps to get them to that place? Are there like ways of, of or, or things to ask help about or things that you say, look, if you have a hard time asking for help, start here. Let's say it's, there's, we're not yet at a point of organizational process that you know, is built into the system that requires, in effect, people to ask for help or makes it super easy. Um, it, are, are there baby steps that you can take and what might those be? Yeah, I say um, start in a safe place. That safe place might be at home or with your friends or in your community. Start with a small ask, a small request, um, and then work up from there. It really is. What a might a small ask be? Like just an example. Oh, a small ask might be as simply, you know, asking for directions. You think about that, like that's interesting. Like my dad right. would not ask for directions. Right. right. He would have loved Google Maps, right? Because he would have asked his phone for directions. Right. But it's as simple as that of thinking about, uh, you have many occasions in which where you're, say you're working on something um, or you're trying to get another guest for your show, you know, you could, you know, read through a lot of books, you could search the web, you could do all kinds of stuff, or you can reach out and ask a few people, you know, do you know any up and coming writers? Do you know any books that are on the horizon? You know, someone that might be interesting to come in and be right. on my show. Um, it's, it's interesting, the directions thing. So, so it's, you know, the idea of asking for directions was first, you know, when I first sort of was reading that research, it was in a, a book about gender and it was sort of very gender divided, right? Which is men don't want to ask for directions, women are fine asking for directions. That, by the way, is the complete opposite in, in my house, meaning Eleanor, uh, <laughs> my wife, does not want to ask for directions and I'm always wanting to ask for directions. The truth is she usually knows where she's going and she's usually very, very good at, you know, figuring it out mm -hmm. without directions, without asking for directions. But, but, but there's difference. Have you found a gender distinction in, in you know, people willing to ask or not? You know, it's an interesting question. Uh, the research is mixed. Uh, some studies find a gender difference. Some studies right. don't find a gender difference. In my own, in my own experience, uh, there's very little difference between men and women. There's more of a difference as to where you are in the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You know, as I mentioned before, that leaders find it harder to ask. Right. You know, and they have a little bit more to learn in that regard. That that's a leadership behavior to ask for what right. you need to role model that behavior. Right. But uh, I, I haven't seen really strong gender differences. Right. Um, there's a distinction that I I thought about as I was reading this book about um, asking versus receiving. So asking can be hard, and receiving help is also hard and different than asking. Right. Like if I you know, if I'm, if I'm unwilling to receive help, then I'm definitely not going to ask for help. Right. And, and it's, and the hump to get over asking though, is slightly different than the hump of getting over of receiving. Does this distinction make sense to you? Yeah. And it's uh, it's an interaction between the two people, you know, so I remember when I was an assistant professor and I needed some help with statistics uh -huh. and I said, well, instead of, you know, keep struggling with this problem, I'll go find an expert on the faculty who knows how to solve this problem. And so I went and I approached that person and it was how the person interacted with me that really made a difference. So I described the problem to him and he rolled his eyes and he said, well, I thought everyone learned that in graduate school. You know, I guess you didn't. Right. And here's how you solve that problem. So I walked out with the answer and with a bunch of with a bucket load of shame at the same time. Yeah. I mean, right? yeah, that's right. I was so deflated. I couldn't right? work on the problem for a long time. Right. You know, but I eventually found someone who was quite different where I would ask a question and the answer was always started the same way. He would say, well, that's an interesting question. And here's why. Right. 
and then he would engage me in learning in the process of it, right? right. And I actually ended up doing a research project with that person. We published an academic journal on research we had done together. So it, it is two, there's two sides to that, to that interaction. Right. Um, but I, I always focus on the, you know, what is it the goal? What is the vision? What are you trying to accomplish? And do you get the resources that you need in order to accomplish that goal? Right. Um, and then it's important to express gratitude for the help that you receive. And if it's a person like I described before, avoid that person. Avoid, yeah. <laughs> well, and it also, like to, you know, there's a lot of the, this show is really focused very much uh, on leadership and leaders. And there's a, there's a real message to leaders, which is both ask for help, but be super thoughtful and intentional about how you respond to asks for help. Mm-hmm. Because you could either shut that down or you could really encourage it. Yeah. So, you know, one of, one of the most common things that leaders will do is uh, there will be a new person, a new hire, and they'll say, um, let me know how I can help you. Right. And that turns out not to be a very powerful question because it requires the other person to figure out, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? Right. Uh, what do I need? I don't know that yet because I'm new in the job. You know, what does the what does the leader know? Who does the leader know? I got to figure all that out. A much more powerful a message for a leader is to say, "What do you need?" You know, and if the answer is, "I don't know," say, "Well, I'll circle back in a couple of weeks and I'll ask you again." So you still think you should ask that question at the beginning? Yeah, but you should ask. You know, you know, welcome. You know, to our company. We're glad you're here. Let me know what you need. Right. You know, and that's better than rather than saying, "How can I help you?" Right. Right. Oh, I see. Right. I wonder whether whether it's a two-step process too, and whether what you want to do is to say, let me know like what your plans are, like how you're going to approach this, mm-hmm. and then what you need, right? Because, it, because that gives even more structure to the ask. Well, I'm trying to do this. As a leader, when I'm bringing new people on, like even the what do you need, how can I help you, or what do you need, are both these sort of expansive, you know, open-ended questions where they may find that it's hard, you know, that's kind of like when I invite you to come over at my house anytime. Come over anytime, you'll never come. Right. right. If I say come to dinner on Thursday night, now you have a very specific request to respond to. Mm-hmm. So what I wonder is whether it's more effective to say, tell me what your specific plans are and what kind of help you might need in executing them or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. You can say, you know, well, you know, what are you working on now? And the person would describe their project and say, okay, well, what do you need? Right, right. right. That's a much more effective way. Right, yeah. right. Um, I want to start a uh, ultimate Frisbee team in the middle school of, my, of the school that mm-hmm. my children are at. And, and, I, and, and I actually deployed that specific strategy. I mean, I sort of said, look, I really, I, to the head uh, health guy, I, I really want to start this team. Well, there's, you know, there's all sorts of challenges and et cetera. And then my answer actually was, well, how can I help make this happen? Mm-hmm. Which I guess is n- not the ideal question. What you're saying is, what do you need? But how can I help given that it was in a very, very specific focused mm-hmm. challenge mm-hmm. felt like maybe that would be helpful. Did that, did I make the right move or should I have asked a different question? Yeah, I think it was, it was specific and it was focused on that activity. So I think that was, that was helpful. Right. Um, but it doesn't always, it's always more powerful to say, you know, what do you need? What are you trying to accomplish? Right. What if I'm the one who's trying to accomplish it though, not him? Like he, he didn't care about, like uh, originally he was not interested in, in starting the ultimate Frisbee team. So I'm asking to help him. 
I'm asking how I can help him accomplish something I want to accomplish okay. versus what he wants to accomplish. We're just adding another layer of complexity to this. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would, you know, I'd say to come back to what you're trying to accomplish and what you need in right. this case, and then to tell him what you need in order to, you know, to make this, make this happen. Right. And yeah, it's interesting. It, th th this, I, I think, shows the complexity of it. Yeah. Because I'm not his boss. Like, he's the one who holds the keys to make it happen. So I'm in kind of an influencing role to kind of say, I really want this thing to happen. Can I help you make it happen? Hmm? I don't know what the answer is exactly, but sort of the what do you need, and he might say, I don't need anything. I'm fine mm -hmm. with a softball team and not, you know, a, not an ultimate Frisbee team. But yeah, I'm I, the one sort of making the request to say, I'd really like you to... That's right. So if you come in and say, look, I want to help create this ultimate Frisbee team, right. um, and here's what I need to make it happen. And even ask that person, can you help me with this? Right. 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 So if you let your needs known, uh, also you would have the goal of how you're going to accomplish it, hopefully right. an action plan of how it, would, how it would come about. Right, right. And in that plan yeah. would be some requests that you could right. make. It's interesting because the, cause, and I know you've done some work with Adam Grant on the give and take and, and this idea, the whole construct of this as I'm listening to you is, is based on a relationship of give and take. And, and, I'm, and as I think about the example I just gave you, it's much more about influence and collaboration. Mm -hmm. Like it's not such a clear, clean exchange where I'm making a request of you and you're gonna resolve, you know, you're gonna solve the request. It's more like, hey, can I work with you to try to make this thing happen? Right. And I, I there's stuff I need from him and there's stuff he might need from me, but it's not that clear yet. Mm -hmm. There's no specific request except, hey, I want this team to happen. Mm -hmm. Is it even possible? And if so, can I work with you to try mm -hmm. to figure it out? Yeah, and you know, and with this idea of give and take, we can think about, you know, that help occurs between you and me, uh -huh. um, but there's a more generalized form of it, which is um, you help me and I feel grateful and I'm more likely to help someone else, to kind of pay it forward. Right. That's another kind of reciprocity, a more powerful form of reciprocity, because that starts to spread the whole activity through Have the network. Have you researched that? Have you found that that actually works, that if I help you, then you'll be more likely to help somebody oh, else? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've done a, a very large scale study using some of our technology uh, built around principles of give and take. Uh -huh. um, and we actually were testing two different theories about why someone would help. One theory is that I'm willing to help you because it makes me look like a good person. It makes me look generous so some other people are more likely to help me. So it's really you know, self-interest. That's right. why I'm willing to help. Right. Um, that's what all my economists said, would say that's why people help. Well, there's a whole other theory that comes out of positive psychology that says that you know, I will help someone out of gratitude for help that I have received from other people, that I'm right. more likely to pay it forward. And the amazing thing is that no one had ever put both of these theories in the same horse race, so to speak, and right. run the race. Um, and I would say, say, well, let the chips fall where they may, and, right. you know, on this study. Um, it's a very large study. I think we had like 14,000 decisions that were made to help or not help. Yeah. And it turns out that both horses crossed the finish line, but it's the gratitude story that's the strongest one. That paying it forward out of gratitude is a much stronger and longer lasting reason why people w would, would help someone rather than the reputation, which is all about kind of my disguised self-interest. Right, right, so interesting. Um, okay, one last question, and then I wanna really talk specifically about tools, is um, you talk here about like the old model and the new model. And the old model was 
change your belief and that will change action. Mm -hmm. And the new model is change your action and that will shape your belief. Now, I'm super interested in this because I've always felt, uh, I'm Jewish, my wife is Christian, and, and I've always felt like there's a bias in Christianity versus Judaism, where Christianity is have faith and your actions will follow, and Judaism is do these things and, and your faith will come. This is idea of Nasev and Ishman Judaism. Like I will, I will listen, you know, listen. Mm -hmm. the, the God gave the Jews all these commandments, uh, supposedly, and, and the Jews were like, this is crazy. There's too much to do here. And, and why are we doing this anyway? And, and God responds, Nasev and Ishma, which is listen, like do it, try it. And then, I'm, I'm sorry, not listen, like act, Nasev, just do things, just try these things. And then you'll understand why I'm giving mm -hmm. it to you. So I was sort of surprised a little bit in your book that you sort of said, okay, so now we know, like there's an old model and a new model and the new model, which has felt a little supersessionist to me, like the new model <laughs> is like, okay, it actually act first and then it, and then it yeah. creates belief. So I wanted to just ask you about that. Is that true? Is that the new model? Do both work? Can you shift belief first and that draws action? Or is it always like, really, if you want behavior change, just get people to act and their belief will follow? Yeah, so th there's a little bit of merit to both, right? They say the you know, if you educate people, if you uh, help them to be enlightened in some way, then they may start behaving in a different way. And there, there, is, there is some truth to that. But the other model, the model that I think is the stronger model, is that if you want people to change what they think, change what they do first. Right. That behavior leads to a change in, in attitudes and beliefs. Um, and that really comes from a whole stream of research that others have done, but also comes from my observation with the tools that I've developed and used over the years I would have people come up to me and they say, oh, you know, we're going to engage in this reciprocity ring and it's not going to work. I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's going to work. And your answer is, you don't have to believe it. Yeah, I would say, I say at one point I said, look, this isn't religion, okay? I right. said, you don't have to believe right. it. I said, would you just do it? Right. Would you just, just participate, just do it? And invariably, people would do that and afterwards they come up to me and say, I believe. Right. Now I believe after seeing it. You know, it reminds me of this story, and I can't remember who the players are, and you might, but there was this philosophy professor, if I'm remembering this story correctly, a philosophy professor who had a, um, who was really strongly against the idea of like superstition and luck and things like that. And, and then one of his students came in and saw a horseshoe above his door <laughs> and said, I, I, I don't understand. Like everything you say is against superstition. Like I didn't know that you believe in it. And he said, I don't, but I understand it works whether you believe in it or not. <laughs> and, um, and that's sort of it. Yeah. Like, I don't know, you don't have to necessarily believe in it, but just do it and then you'll figure right, it out. Right. right. Okay. So let's talk about uh, tools and like ways of helping people integrate this advice in your life. Like it, let's just assume, yeah, it's hard to do and we would all benefit if we could ask mm -hmm. uh, for help more often or ask for things. So, and the organization would benefit too. And we need to do it as leaders and it's vulnerable and it's difficult. And you know, there's a lot of resistance to doing it. So before we go to the organizational interventions, let's go to individual interventions. Mm -hmm. Like what do I, how do I help my son ask for help? Okay. Well, there's a couple of steps. The first step is figuring out what you're trying to accomplish. What's the destination that you're trying to get to? And there's different methods for doing that. Uh, one method that I have in the book is called the, the quick start, and it's, mm -hmm. it's just that. In fact, I used it just yesterday in a program we did with executives from, uh, from General Motors, and you complete a couple of sentences like, um, 
I'm working on X, whatever that project is, and then I need Y. Right. Or my biggest challenge at work is fill in the blank, and I need help with whatever that might be. Right. And people go through this and start to stimulate their thinking about what are they trying to accomplish, and then what are some needs or requests that they might, they might need. There are other ways of doing it. Um, there is a more formal gold articulation method. Um, and then one of the most powerful ones is visioning, which is that you create a detailed vision of a future state of your life that you want to live into and inherent in that are goals and then some requests that you need. So first you figure out where you're trying to go, the destination, um, and then you back out from that, well, well, what do I need to accomplish one of those goals that will help me live that positive future? Can you play out a concrete example? Oh yeah, so the, um, uh, so there's a, uh, a company that I write about in the book called Zingerman's Community of Businesses. Mm -hmm. They're, uh, it's called the coolest small company in America, and they have the best deli outside of New York. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, um, and they will create a vision for everything from, for, for the whole company. They're now in the process of creating their 2032 uh, vision of what the company they want to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've, so I've seen a draft of this vision, and they've decided that even though they have opportunities to franchise and go all around the country, they won't do it. They still want to kind of stay locally in, embedded in the culture and the environment uh, of Ann Arbor, right? So, but they want to grow locally. So they still want to create new businesses, but they want to stay in the same area. So the request that's built in that vision is, we need ideas from our employees who want to become owner managers of a business. Right. So that's that. And so literally, and that, they had this in their previous vision. And as, um, as the time grew near, uh, the vision was the 2020 vision, so that's you know that's going to be next right. year. Uh, people said, you know, we've created a few business. We got to get going on this. Who has some ideas? You know, and they started generating some ideas. So that vision was an ask for ideas from employees to propose businesses, right? right. And then they would take them on the path to develop that business. Right. So that's an example at a at a at a company level. Right. So when I was writing this book, I had a vision. You know, in some ways, I've been working on this book for 20 years, and in mm -hmm. other ways, you know, I've really been focusing on it in the last two when I was really doing all the writing. Uh, but I had that vision of writing a book that would be that would be useful, that would provide tools. Because over the years, people would say I would preach about this, and they would say, "Oh, I get it, I get it." But what do I do? Right. You know, how do I do it? And so I've been collecting tools and examples and put them all in the toolbox of the book. Mm -hmm. Had that vision, I said, "Okay, well." I better start documenting these tools, right? I better start asking people for tools that they know right. so that I come up with a, you know, a pretty good toolbox. Right. Um, I'm curious about, because you talk about psychological safety in the book, and I'm curious about tools for creating the kind of psychological safety that predisposes people to be willing to ask. Yeah, so psychological safety is really important. It means that uh, the workplace is a safe space uh, to raise questions, to, um, you know, to question someone in authority, to point out problems, and to ask for help. Um, and in places that are psychologically unsafe, it's hard to do all those things. Hard to speak up, hard to ask for questions, hard to ask questions, hard to, to ask for what you might need. Um, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. So if it's not a psycho psychologically safe place, if you use some of these tools, to get started, people will make small requests. If you make it kind of a group project that everyone makes requests, they'll do it, and they'll do it in a very safe, very small way, mm -hmm. but that starts to make the place a little bit safer, 
right? And when it's a little bit safer, then the, in the next round, they'll, they'll venture out a right. little bit more, right. you know, go right. that way. Um, so it almost doesn't matter where you start. You know, you could work on psychological safety, the tools would work better, or you could start with the tools which tend to create more of a psychologically safe workplace. I don't want to be obnoxious here, but what if like someone is asking stupid questions? Like, you know, like, like what if they're asking, what if you're a leader and someone's asking a question and your actual response in your head is, oh, you should know this. Right. And the fact that you don't know this concerns me about the business you're running or concerns me about your ability to do all of this work. Because that's just natural. Like that's going to happen. Yeah. How do you... Yeah, um, yeah that, that is going to happen. That is going to happen. And how as a leader you respond, how you react is totally critical. If you say something in front of the group and criticize that person, what you've done is that you have put a chill on the whole process. You've right. created a psychologically unsafe place to speak up, to ask questions, to, to make requests. Even so if you I, say, you know, most of your questions, everybody, are really, really great. But this one, yeah. not so good. This yeah. one's kind of dumb. Yeah, what's up you, with you're you? You're saying don't do that, right? <laughs> okay. And what, you would, what you would do is that you would find an opportunity to meet with that person one-on-one -on -one and express in an honest but compassionate way, you know, your concern. You know that you know just you know, you know that what you asked her. I thought that might be something that um, you know. Is it that we haven't provided the tools that you need? Is it uh, is there something you, you need to become better at? That? So that's that's dangerous though, also, right? Because that that kind of a story spreads very quickly. In I mean, I'm not saying that's not how you have to act because because if you pretend if you pretend that all the questions are good when you actually have some concerns, you're not leading effectively. On the other hand, as soon as you say to someone, hey, that question you asked made me realize maybe, you know, yeah. you don't know what you're doing in, in nicer terms, but that's probably how they end up receiving it, will immediately prevent probably that person, who's probably the one who needs to ask questions the most, from asking any more questions. Yeah, and then it becomes a spiral negatively. Well, it, it could, but I think, you know, coaching is best when it's done one-on-one. -on -one. Right? right, it's not done in a group. You know, it's not it's not done in a group setting. Right. Um, I always start with the, you know, with um, thinking the other person has good intentions. You right. know, when the person wants to perform well and they want to do their job. Right. And as a leader, it's my responsibility to, to help them. Right. Right. Now that's not always the case that everyone can be helped. Sometimes you've hired the wrong people. Sometimes you have to make the hard decision and, and to let them go. Right. But I think you should always start with, uh, with the assumption of uh, positive intent. Right. Um, and maybe with a little bit of coaching, you can develop this person. Right, right, great. Um, give us one more, uh, give us just one more tool that could be useful for people uh, you know, individually or in organizations. And you've talked about standardizing the idea of asking for help. Uh, you know, how could, how could leaders uh, implement that? Yeah, so um, there's a practice in software and, and IT firms called the stand-up. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a 10 a.m. every morning. Uh, the people in the group, usually programmers, will stand up in a big circle. It takes about 15 minutes. Right. And they'll go around and they have to say three things. What I worked on yesterday, what I'm working on today, and I need help to do whatever. They have right. to make a request. Right. And then it goes right around. People followed up later on with the help that they're going to offer. Um, I think that practice has enormous potential to be used in any group. Right. And it doesn't matter. They don't have to be IT. It could be any kind of group where people would say, okay, we're going to stop. We're going to get in a circle in our group, and we're going to go through, and everyone's required to say the same three things. What I do yesterday, what I'm working on today, and what help do I need? 
that makes it all normal. People right. start to expect it. And if right. you miss one, what I found is they'll say, aren't we supposed to have our stand-up now? Right. right? You know? And it makes it a group project. Right. You know what, what I like about it also is that if you're not saying, here's the help I need, and you're failing, then it's sort of like, I don't understand. You're failing and you're not asking. That's right. And you have an opportunity every day, every day to make a request. Right, right, right. right. And it becomes normal if you don't. And so in some cultures where it's hard for an individual to make a request because they don't want to, you know, to impose on the group, it changes it from an individual to a group task. It's now I'm letting down the group if I'm not asking right. for what I need. Right. And have you, have you tried to implement this in cultures where everybody is already doing twice as much as they could possibly do and they're so busy and someone makes a request and they're like, ah, I'd love to help, but you know, what on my top 10 priority list should I not do in order to help right, this right, other yeah. person? Well, what we have found in those situations, if people use some of these tools, their workload goes down. The reason the work goes down is that I'm no longer like trying to get this task done, my head down, trying to get this task done, when if I just reached out and asked someone for a little bit of help on right. it, I could solve it faster. Right. So it, it may seem paradoxical, but what I found is that people's, things become less stressful, workloads go down when people are reaching out and asking for help and not right. trying to do it all by themselves. Right. Great. We have been talking with Dr. Wayne Baker. His book is All You Have to Do is Ask how to master the most important skill for success. Wayne, you have uh, instilled in me a desire that I'm gonna make sure today, and I actually encourage this of anyone who's watching or listening, like today, find an opportunity, look at everything you're doing and ask yourself, is there some place I can make a request? Is there some place I need help? Is there something I need from someone else that I could be brave enough today to reach, mm -hmm. out, to reach out and ask for that kind of help? And, uh, and like start the process. Because uh, what I'm hearing from you is you got to just push yourself to do it and you start the process and that's how you get better at this. That's right. And then it becomes a habit. And then it becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership oh, Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.